Hello, and welcome to the Beyond Borders podcast, the podcast that explores topics related to international trade. This podcast is brought to you by Buckland. For over 70 years, Buckland has been working to help companies across the world experience global trade in a better way. As a customer-focused company, we provide you with a single source of unmatched customs brokerage, trade-managed solutions, freight forwarding, trade technologies, and warehousing and distribution services. I'm your host, Jenny Kaus, Marketing Coordinator at Buckland, and today I'm speaking with our guest, Nick Yakovsky. Nick is a compliance specialist at Buckland and is a licensed customs broker. Nick specializes in consulting, project management, HTS import and export classification, and qualification for products across a variety of industries, including automotive, technology, chemical, industrial, and textile, and the U.S., Canadian, Mexico, EU, and other regions. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Thank you for having me, Jenny. Pleasure to be here. On today's podcast, you and I are going to be giving our listeners an introduction to classification, what we are going to be calling a classification 101 to give you an overview of what classification is as it pertains to the customs world. On an earlier podcast on the harmonized system, we gave an overview of what the harmonized system is. And I would encourage listeners to go back and listen to that one if you're interested in this topic. We are going to be recapping a little bit of the basics of the harmonized system as we get into the details of classification today. In the spirit of this being a 101, Nick, let's start with the basics. What does classification mean in the world of customs compliance? Classification is one of the main pillars of customs compliance, along with valuation and qualification. So classification refers to the process of assigning a harmonized tariff schedule code to a product. So it's at the heart of customs processes. It's used to determine duty and figures into your NAFTA and other free trade agreement qualifications. And more on the import side, it also serves as an identifier to further determine if there's any additional governmental agency oversight, any anti-dumping duties, or some other import restrictions like quotas. Great. Thank you. Are tariff codes standardized from country to country? Well, for the most part. So the World Trade Organization and the World Customs Organization have come together to make a harmonized tariff schedule. And this takes it out to six digits. So ideally across every participating country, so most of the countries in the world, you'd have tariffs that match up to six digits. And this is more or less the case, except in some really rare instances where local customs authorities have made their own determinations. Uh, An example here, uh, there's a product called a filter dryer, which is a a kind of filter for refrigerant. In the U.S., we say it's 842139, which is a gas filter. Uh, But Mexico thinks it's a liquid filter, 842129. So it really depends on the the fine interpretation that each customs authority takes. That's interesting to know that uh, it can vary from country to country because I I can't imagine how complex it is to get everybody across the world in all of these uh, member countries to the WTO to agree on this set of codes. That seems incredibly complex. How is the classification of a product determined? 
Well, we have to consult the Harmonized Tariff Schedule. So this is a really massive book. If you had a printed copy, Custom says it's the size of like an unabridged dictionary. Uh, it seems a lot heavier and bigger than that, though. I can attest uh, we to do that. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it takes up quite a bit of space. Uh, but there is an online version, so no space required. Uh, so we consult the Harmonized Tariff Schedule. And there are thousands of different tariffs that are stretch across 21 different sections broken out by type of commodity, like chemicals, uh, industrial products, textiles, etc. And these are further broken down into 97 chapters. And to assign a classification, we have to start looking through all of these different possibilities. And the rules that are provided are pretty overarching. And there are six of them, and they have some sub-rules, but these are called the general rules of interpretation. Uh, the first one is pretty straightforward. This is where most of your products will be classified through. It's just saying that the terms of the heading and the relative section and chapter notes define the classification. So if someone is importing a live horse, we know it's going to be heading one, uh, subheading 29, and then the stat level is 0090. Uh, there's no further research required. It's pretty cut and dry. Horses are horses, and here's where they go. As we get into the other rules, these cover situations that might be a little more gray or complex. So the second rule has two different parts. The first one is for incomplete items. So say you're importing a desk that is unassembled and maybe missing some of the hardware like handles or screws. Uh, this rule says that basically what you have is more or less a complete desk, so you get to classify it as a desk. The second part of that rule clarifies some of the headings, indicating that they count for mixtures or combinations. And it kind of bleeds right into the next rule, which is the third one. Uh, so it, it specifies that the most specific description is going to apply to your product, regardless of what little details there might be. So an example here is if you have a, a very specific chemical that's marketed for a, a specific purpose. Like say it's a, a weed killer that's made of primarily one chemical, but they add in some additives for stability. In this case, you classify it right as the main chemical. You can ignore those little details, those little additives, uh, because what you have is primarily that single chemical. Now, there's a, a part B to rule three, which is the essential character rule. And this comes into play with kits. So you might see this one more often along with the GRI one. When it comes to kits, you want to find the essential character. So if you have a metal plaque, like you have a nameplate that's going to go on someone's desk, and it's shipping as the nameplate with some screws. Uh, you can ignore the screws because the essential character of the kit that's shipping is the nameplate. So you classify right as the nameplate, ignore everything else. And the first three rules are the ones that we see most often. Rules four through six come into play very, very rarely because pretty much everything can be classified with one through three. So GRI four says that anything that can't be classified by the first three rules should be classified under headings that are appropriate to similar goods. This might come into play when you have a brand new product. Uh, the example that comes to mind for me is iPads. So when these things first came out, they were unusual. There weren't really a lot of tablets in the market or anything similar. So customs determined 
these can probably be classified very similarly to laptop computers. They perform very similar functions, have similar features. It just so happens this is a touch screen. Now getting into the last two rules, uh, rule five specifies where you can combine different classifications. Uh, it seems a little vague, but one concrete example is if you are buying a guitar from Spain and it's shipping in its case, you know, for protection, right? That makes sense. Right, right. Uh, instead of classifying the guitar and the case separately, you classify it just as the guitar. The case is uh, ancillary to the guitar. It's there for that purpose, so you can just go ahead and combine those two. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And finally, the last one. There are a lot of different rules, and there are still more rules to come. Uh, the last rule, GRI 6, uh, just states that rules 1 through 5 don't just apply to those main headings, so those chapters, uh, you know, 0101 for horses, like I had mentioned, or 8481 for valves. It also applies to those subheadings, so getting into that fifth and sixth digit. Uh, subheadings are only comparable to other subheadings, just like headings are only comparable to other headings. When a customs broker, for example, is determining a classification, what sort of information would it be that they are looking for? So they want to verify a few different pieces of information. Primarily, when we're classifying, we have three or four go-to questions that we always ask if it's something that is totally unknown to us. So we ask what it's made of, what it does, where it's used, and what the function of its parent product is if it's used someplace else. Oh, interesting. Um, I know we talked about this a little bit um, on the, the prior podcast about the harmonized system because, I mean, these two topics are very closely linked. Um, and it was interesting talking about kind of on that, on that side of things, you know, looking for some of those details about, you know, what is it made of and, and kind of those basic details that help to build that out. So that's useful. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And getting those additional details is necessary for us to delve further into the HTS, you know, past those GRIs, getting into the actual you know, sections and chapters. For and sure. when we get into those notes, uh, there are additional section notes, there are additional chapter notes. So there are mm -hmm. a lot of guidelines that are provided to assist in classification, but mm -hmm. a lot of it is not abundantly clear. It's, it's all yes. very legal, <laughs> very uh, dry and hard to read. I know even uh, I've shipped things across for different events and, and I know I've even gone through uh, to complete paperwork and have been looking things up and have had to call because it does, it gets very unclear quickly what it is. And it, it can seem like a rather simple item, um, but when you really get into it, you know, these rules do apply and things can exist in kind of more than one area depending on what it is. So it, it can be so important to get a professional opinion because, I mean, you know, here I am working for a customs broker and I was looking through and I was boggled by it. Um, so it's definitely great to get that second set of eyes. Yeah, of course. Of course, it, it is a somewhat of a mystery. Uh, <laughs> and even now, even when we are classifying, we've been doing this for a number of years across all, all of our team here. Uh, we still have discussions that get a little bit heated at times about where we think things should go. Yeah. Uh, we reference... Oh, this section note says A, but this ruling tends to push it toward B, and then it's a fine line. Ultimately, yes. it is, it's objective in the fact that there are these rules to follow, but it's also quite subjective in that 
once we get as far as the rules can take us, we really have to trust our own judgment. I've uh, heard it referred to as a real mix of art and science when you're classifying. That's a very flattering interpretation. (laughs) So, I, I mean... What happens in the case that, you know, let's say that someone out there has misclassified an item, you know, they've, you know, like I might have done if I hadn't have gotten help um, when I was sending things across the border. Um, if someone has selected the wrong uh, HS to their item, what, what can happen? Well, it's not the end of the world. So okay. that's the positive thing. Good uh, every customs authority is going to give you the ability to make corrections. Okay. Uh, I believe when it comes to Canada, you have 90 days from the date of discovery to make that adjustment. Okay. In the U.S., it's a little more strict. We have 30 days from the date of discovery. So date of discovery implies that as soon as you realize that it's incorrect, that's when the clock starts ticking. Okay. Uh, it's not when you officially make the statement to customs. It's when you realize that you messed up. Okay. And I should also mention here, Nick, um, Nick is working out of our compliance office, which is located in Southfield, Michigan. Um, And I'm out of our head office in St. Thomas, Ontario. So when we're talking about the differences between Canada and the U.S., um, we're able to kind of come at it from different angles because we do have offices um, throughout. We actually have eight throughout North America. So we're able to kind of see it from, from different angles as well. So while customs authorities always want you to make corrections, there are some things that you'll need to take into consideration uh, prior to making that correction with customs. Primarily, you're going to want to determine if there's a duty impact. If it turns out that the proper classification is going to lead to an increased duty, customs will have a significant interest in making sure that they get that duty paid to them. You know, if it turns out that they owe you money, they're less concerned about it naturally. Yeah, makes sense. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, Some other things would be if the new classification is subject to any import quotas or maybe subject to anti-dumping duties, uh, that's ADD in the U.S. or CIMA in Canada. Okay. Also, if it falls under the purview of any governmental agencies. Uh, So if your new tariff flags in the U.S. for FDA, uh, Food and Drug Administration, that's something that you'll also have to consider. You'll need to fill out an additional form and provide that uh, to customs. Great. So what would happen in the case of an importer if they wanted to appeal a determination made by customs? So in most cases, uh, customs will work with you when it comes to the classification. Uh, If you admit that you made an error, there's some chance to have some back and forth. Or if they determine that you've made an error, Uh, there is a chance to discuss and present your case. Now, on the U.S. side, this usually happens when there are customs audits. Okay. Um, The customs will issue an initial request for information. We call it a CF-28. And depending on your response to that, you know, maybe you are able to sufficiently demonstrate that you've applied all of your best judgment and best resources to this classification They'll accept yours and move on. But if they disagree with you, they'll issue another notice to you. They call it a CF-29 and basically tell you what they think the classification should be. Okay. Uh, But in any case, they do give you a certain period of time. Usually I've seen it to be about 30 days uh, to have that discussion and go back and forth. And even with the CF-29, there is still some ability to, uh, to discuss. Great. Now, 
Another thing, while I've got you here and I can pick your brain, um, I've heard the term ruling. Can you explain what that refers to? So a ruling would be a binding tariff determination that has been issued by a customs authority. In most cases, an importer or a prospective importer would reach out to either CBSA or CBP and state their case of what they think this should be classified as. The purpose of the ruling is to have customs blessing so that if there are any discrepancies or issues going forward, you can always point to the ruling and say, customs said I can do this. I can classify it this way. When we reach out for rulings, we've done that for several of our clients, we provide as much material information as possible. So reaching back into those questions that we discussed previously, what is it made of? What does it do? Where is it located? How is it attached or assembled? We get even more granular with those details so that customs has a full picture of exactly what this item is. And they'll usually request blueprints, drawings, pictures, sometimes even bills of material to fully verify the classification. Okay. And so if someone, you know, let's say that someone was importing something and it wasn't covered under a free trade agreement, meaning they had to pay duty and they were looking to get a ruling, like this would usually be done so that someone could ensure that their product qualifies. Like if it, if they believe that it qualifies under something that, you know, may be considered for free trade, then it would be worth their time to go through this process of getting a ruling, correct? Right, right. It's just a way to safeguard your determination. And usually if you're pushing for a ruling, you have a, a specific duty amount in mind that you want to lock in. Yeah. And it I can might see- be that. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, was just, I, I can see why someone would want to go forward with doing something like this. If it, it sounds like it would make really good business sense from that case. Mm-hmm, definitely. And it might be one of those situations where at the, uh, the statistical level, so the 7th through 10th digits, you might have a difference in duty. And maybe that difference in interpretation might be 5% or something similar. Wow. So it sounds from everything you're telling me that classification really is quite the skill to master, as we said, kind of a blend of art and science. And it also requires a great deal of collaboration between an importer and their customs broker. Um, If any of our listeners have questions about the classification of goods, um, what would you recommend that they do? You know, definitely reach out to Buckland. We have a team of highly trained specialists who are able to research and review HTS classification across any number of different industries or product lines. Uh, we can perform classification audits. So if anyone out there is concerned about the validity or the, uh, I guess, the accuracy of their existing classifications, we're comfortable in reviewing that and advising. And we can also do this for live shipments where, you know, the time frame is a little tighter, but we still apply just as much scrutiny and uh, to the best of our abilities with those. Great. Thank you so much. That's, uh, it's great to have um, that backup as well for people like of the document um, maintenance and all of that so that they have really clear records of what's happening with their goods. Um, so thank you very much for clarifying on that as well um, because I think that that's going to be really important for people to know. And uh, I just wanted to say again, Nick, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to me about classification. This really helps deepen understanding of what this is and builds upon our episode on the Harmonized System. Certainly. It's been a pleasure.
That's the Beyond Borders podcast for today. Thank you so much to our guest, Nick. And we really hope that you've enjoyed this podcast and found it to be very informative and educational. I know I have. If you're looking for resources related to international trade, check out buckland.com and visit our learning page for more information about this podcast, upcoming webinars, and downloadable resources ranging from Incoterms reference charts, tips for avoiding border delays, things to keep in mind when choosing a broker, and more. And I will say the one thing that you will also find there is a downloadable resource that is explains the harmonized system. So that would be a great accompaniment to this podcast as well. So please check that out. Also, be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter through our website to receive a roundup of the latest trade news delivered straight to your inbox every Wednesday. If you want to reach out to us or connect online, visit our contact us page on our website. Or check out Twitter where our handle is at Buckland Tweets. You can also follow Buckland on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Borders podcast and be sure to tune in again and subscribe for more great conversations about importing, exporting, and everything else in the world of logistics and international trade.